Hey, you all, and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Deanna, your personal cultural curator, and you're listening to Cultured Commentary. Today, I'm interviewing Miss Anjanu Ellis. She's originally from Mississippi, my home state. And she is a powerhouse actress and activist. She has appeared in numerous projects such as Ava DuVernay's When They See Us, Misha Green's Lovecraft Country, and the Clark Sisters movie produced by Queen Latifah and Mary J. Blige. Um, So thank you so much for being here to speak to me today. Hopefully you're doing okay. Has COVID-19 kind of freed up some of your time or are you kind of still on the go? Well, I I kind of have been... Uh, kind of working through the whole thing. Like we, um, I was doing a movie last year and we shut down when everything else shut down. But then uh, we went back to work in the fall. And uh, then I uh, had Christmas and then I got actually contracted COVID. Hmm. And, and um, so, but now I'm back to work on uh, something now. So I haven't had that much. I had enough of a break, <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's just a weird thing working in that kind of situation because, you know, actors can't wear masks. Mm, right. So it's another kind of, it's another kind of thing. Um, yeah. So you're risking it for the arts. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so you play Hippolyta Freeman in Lovecraft Country. I loved Lovecraft Country. Like I tried to tell all my friends to watch it, all my family members. I forced them to watch it when I went home for the holidays. I really, really enjoyed the show because it was so intriguing. We rarely see stories about Black people in sci-fi, in horror, and it's all kind of wrapped up in this period piece. So take me back to when you were presented with this opportunity. How did you learn about it? And why were you interested in pursuing this project? Well, um, I... um... I was, had read it and, you know, loved it. You know, I, I thought it was really, you know, interesting and fun. And, um, and then um, it, it uh, you know, went to somebody else. <laughs> uh, they were going to cast somebody else uh, for it. And, um, but then I went and did something else. And that didn't go any further. And then it turned out that the person who they originally wanted for Hippolyta, it didn't work out with them. So the opportunity came back up again. I had to audition. I had to go through the ropes, go through all the channels and meet with Misha. And and then ultimately it came my way. And then we uh, shot it in Chicago uh, the summer, I guess, of 19. Mm -hmm. And, And then... We, then you saw what what, what happened. <laughs> yeah, I saw what happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at its core, the show is really like super creative. Um, it highlights the struggle to overcome the racist horror of America. But if you look a little deeper, it also introduces this difficult dialogue uh, that lies dormant in a lot of uh, communities, especially like the Black community. So we have this conversation about gender roles. We have this conversation about uh, black femininity, uh, sexual liberation, gender conversations. Did you know at the moment 
uh, how groundbreaking and pivotal the show would be, or, you know, you said it, you thought it was a fun piece and things of that nature, but did you mm-hmm. truly know the gravity uh, of what this show would become? I didn't know how people would respond to it. You know what I mean? I didn't, I had no idea how people would respond to it. They, you know, it was, I knew that what we were doing was risky and uh, strange. And I love that. That's the kind of work that I like doing. I gravitate towards that kind of um, material. So what the mystery was, and I, I loved, loved doing that, so I didn't think, think twice about it. But the mystery was, how would people react to it? You know, because there isn't anything really like that on on television and usually in, in stories that are, you know, sci-fi or horror, they don't focus on the lives of black people. And usually when black characters are in them, they're, they are in them, you know, all of 15 minutes before they're killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a sci-fi horror story that centralized the lives of black people. And, um, So it was, it was, it was, you know, a little bit groundbreaking in that way, you know, and, um, you know, it's interesting, like Lovecraft isn't for everybody, but the people who it was for, it was for them. And they, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, and I, I, you know, and I love how people, the people who it is for, um, it speaks to them in these really sort of profound ways so it I, you know that's that's re- really affirming and gratifying to be a part of something like that good I'm, I mean the horror genre like you mentioned it's not as diverse as some would imagine especially when it comes to uh black people surviving throughout the film or throughout the television show it's just unheard of and so whenever a black person survives or the black person is the hero but we also don't have this kind of this white savior complex in the show it's just amazing to see and it's like oh finally relief um but I've been uh explaining to a lot of my friends that for me horror is not just about the goons and the goblins it's not about something coming out of the walls or whatever it's about the real life experiences. It's about the reality. And for a lot of black people, you know, we can watch Boys in the Hood. We can watch um, Higher Learning or, you know, movies like that. And it, it it's horror to me because it it's the possibility. It presents the possibility of what could happen to me at any given time or any given moment in my life. Um, and you take on a lot of roles that are kind of similar in that dynamic. Um, for example, I know you played an enslaved woman on... Uh, the Book of Negroes, which was kind of like my introduction uh, to your work. And I'm sure that it, that role carries a lot of weight and it's a lot to process. I still haven't been able to watch When They See Us. So how have your lived experiences as a Black woman from Mississippi prepared you to take on the mental gravity of those roles? Um, I think that I think everything that you said is the preparation for it, being black, being being a woman and being from Mississippi. Those are those are, you know, precursors. I mean, they're just they're just they qualify me um, in a in a in an extraordinary way for for that for doing that kind of for doing that kind of work. And, I, you know, I have to say, though, I. I get asked often, you know, how did you, how did you unwind or how did you decompress after 
you know, playing roles like that and, you know, the mental stress of that. And I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that. And the reason why is that that's the kind of work that I want to do. So, so that feels the, the, the activity of it, the, the putting the costumes over and saying the lines and all that stuff, the, the work of doing the, the work of, of playing these parts doesn't feel like work to me. And the reason why it doesn't feel like work to me is because that's the kind of work that I want to do. I want to tell stories, um, that, that, um, centers black people and particularly speaks to the experience of blackness in America. That's the kind of work that I want to do. Um, and particularly when it's well-written, um, that's joy for me. Like, it looks like I'm having a hard time on, on, on screen. And sometimes, yeah, because when I've had to fuse my own personal experiences and my own personal pain, sure, I have to tap into that. And that cannot be that can not be fun. But um, it's does it's not work. It's not work. It's not. And the reason why it's not work, it's not tedious. What's tedious for me is when I'm working on something that I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. That's what that's when it feels like I'm earning my check <laughs> when I'm like, yo, when is payday? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, 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 yes, I'm playing things that, that are traumatic, but the work of portraying that trauma, um, doesn't, is not work to me because it's, 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 it's actually an honor for me to do that kind of, to, to play Sharon Salam. You know, that's an honor for me. That ain't hard. Cause I want to do that. I want to tell this woman's story. In that instance, do you feel like you've been typecasted at all? Or do you kind of welcome uh, a typecasting in the essence that you're getting to uh, play the roles that you most desire to play and tell these stories of, of these women, of these lives? Like, have you ever felt that typecasting was an issue? That I'm always playing parts like that? Right. Even though you want it. <laughs> um, Typecast me. I mean, if that's if, the, if if I get to continue to play parts like that, Yes, honey. Okay, sure. That's how you see me. Yeah, give it to me. I'll play it. I'll play it because the reality—the reality is, those kinds of stories—they don't have. They're not. They don't get told that much. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? They don't get told that much. And I can say this because I'm I'm a writer of those stories, and I know the I know the hardship I have in trying to get people to convince people to, to want to get behind those stories. So I know those stories are not told that much. So, you know, if, if I happen to be one of the people you immediately think of when you're trying to tell a story, I have no problem with that. None. So you say you're a storyteller, you're a creative writer. So let's talk about representation for a moment. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about representation in Hollywood and the need for greater diversity on screen. So when I look at projects like Lovecraft Country, it's not just amazing because we're telling this very intersectional story, but it's amazing because I'm seeing these seasoned faces, these seasoned seasoned actors, but I'm also seeing new faces and new talent come to the screen. What does that process look like when you're trying to introduce new talent, introduce more um, new cinematographers and directors and producers? How grueling is that process? And could you say that Hollywood is taking uh, steps to diversify 
um, those areas and those arenas? I think I think that I I, I don't want to say that that that's not happening at all, because mm-hmm. um, I think it is. I think it is happening, and I um, but I think you know I can tell you I can tell you I can only speak. I'll I'll do this. I'll speak from my own personal experience. So. My sister and I have written a story about a lynching that happens in Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. A contemporary lynching, something that happens now, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the reason why we're telling the story is because, you know, so much there's so been so many stories of the of of, of young black men, particularly, um, being hung, and they're always they're always the conclusion is that they're always suicides. That happens mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter how the family is like, my my loved one would not have committed suicide. I don't know what you're talking about. It's always the uh, the the coroner always uh the conclusion is it's always a suicide. So a couple of those things have happened in Mississippi. And that that also coupled with there is a tendency in our home state to to when someone black is killed to not put every effort into finding out who did the killing. Now the, 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 the historical record of that is the fact that there were up to 600 people who were lynched in Mississippi and pretty much nobody went to jail for that. So that can, that, that tradition continues when you have, you know, our, the woman, two women who were caregivers for our mother, both of them, somebody in their family, somebody in their family were murdered and the police never found out who did it. Now, if you are living somewhere like New York city or like Chicago, you know what I mean? And, and nobody knows what happened. That's one thing. But if you living out in the backwoods where we live, where everybody knows each other and people are telling you that's who did it. We trying to tell you that's who did it, and they still don't arrest anybody. That says something about the culture of policing mm. in, 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 in the state of Mississippi. So we wrote something. We wrote something about that. Now, you know, we tried to put it out in the marketplace. And the response that we've gotten is that it's too dark. And, um, you know, so, you know, we are, of course, baffled by that because we're like, how is this dark? You know, there's no violence in it. It's the aftermath of something violent, but there is no violence in it. So what makes it dark? How is it that our story is dark, but you have a story that's told by a white person and you have a, a bloodbath in the first five minutes of it and that's considered entertainment? Right. Exactly. So, so there is this, you know, and, and what we've been told is like, we don't want to see stories like that. We want to see, essentially, we want to see some happy stories, but, you know, they can, they, they're allowed to tell stories about violence, but we can't tell our truth that is about violence. And you know what I'm saying? Right, so that, that, that is, that is, that is my personal experience with that. So there is the, there is a there is there is very much um, truth to this industry that I'm in being resistant to a particular kind of storytelling, and that is that continues. 
And I definitely uh, understand what you mean by um, how is this story dark when we have these shows that come on all the time that introduce within the first 10 minutes uh, a gruesome rape or a murder or whatever. It's kind of like uh, this double standard when it comes to film and television and storytelling um, from white America to black America. There are so many outlets by which black people get their stories out. I mean, there are some, uh, I mean, the, the era of Vine has passed us, but TikTok videos, Instagram, short stories, um, YouTube, and uh, the number of uh, independent film festivals and things of that nature. How, how do producers and directors go out and scout out these stories? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that you know, I really don't know. I don't want to speak to something that I, I think people get their inspiration from a lot of different, a lot of different places um, and ideas from a lot of different places. You know, there people get um, uh, ideas from, you know, books, their books that are being optioned. Um, um, so that happens. That happens a lot. And, you know, there's a lot of articles get optioned. And then, you know, sometimes that they're just, um, you know, just stories that people, people are make up on their own um, self-authored pieces. Um, So I, I, I can't speak to that because that's more of like a, that's more of a, you know, somebody more of a producing capacity. And I, I come from a, a, a writing producing area. And I, sure. I'm trying to do my own stuff. So I ain't trying to scout for nobody. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But the work that you were discussing is so intersectional. It deals with a lot of different aspects of our experiences. Um, you talked about the culture of policing and things of that nature. And even though we grew up in t- uh, two different uh, eras in Mississippi, in two different areas completely, um, I'm pretty sure we encountered some of the same uh, circumstances, especially when it comes to stereotyping and prejudice and things of that nature. So I'm going to pivot a little bit to talk about your activism through the arts, uh, because throughout your career, my parents are huge fans. And so they've always made it a habit to send me articles about what you're doing, uh, how you're kind of just changing the culture. We talk a lot about mobilization and persuasion in my graduate program about how celebrities are used as this catalyst to promote political agendas. And we see this very often when it comes to like election time with the go out and vote campaigns and everything like that. But you were consistently vocal about removing the Mississippi uh, Confederate uh, state flag. And you're even very vocal on social media about uh, addressing social determinants of health that are affecting our communities. Why is it important for you to use your platform as an artist uh, to make these issues known? Because it's it's the quickest way to do it. It's the loudest, you know, megaphone. Um, and I, I feel that, you know, I feel that, um, you know, in my mind, what, what, who, what kind of person am I, if I'm not doing that, now everybody doesn't think that way. Do you know what I'm saying? But I think right. that if I see something that's not right, then I gotta, then I have to speak to that. And it, it, sh- it shouldn't just be something that I profit from. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, so, so, um, so, I, I mean, that's how I live my life. That's how I've always lived my life. 
And um, I, I'm not going to stop just because I'm, this is how I make my, this is how I make my living. You know, like I, I decided, you know, I'm not, I don't like being on the red carpet. I've just never, I'm not good at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just good at it. Like I'm always wearing something crazy or off because I want to, but it just, it just is, it's just never, you know, I just never gotten it right. You know, you look at these actors who just get it right. Like it's an art to what they do. And I just have not, I don't excel at that at all. But, but so, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but here's the thing though. What I, what I said to myself, if I got to be on a red carpet, then I need to be wearing something that people can read and, and, and take that message. And so that's why I started wearing these dresses that, you know, said, take it down, take the flag down, that kind of thing. Because I'm like, um, if I'm, I'm, I'm repurposing this, this moment. Right. And that's, that's why I did it. That's why I did it. And anytime that I've ever tried to do that red carpet, excuse my language, shit, excuse me. (laughs) And it ain't about that. Like, it's just been like, why am I here? This is nuts. But it's a part of my job, you know, like they expect you to do it and that kind of thing sometimes. So I do it when it, when I, when there's that expectation of me. But but yeah, you know, it's 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 the it's the it's a way to expedite getting getting these getting get, for me uh, important messages out. And I think, of course, like these acts of activism on the red carpet and beyond of course you have to think about your career and, and think about what this could potentially do to the uh, roles that you're presented with and things like that. But how have you been able to find your voice as an actor without kind of uh, compromising your integrity? Because I look at uh, the episode of Lovecraft Country with Hippolyta, uh, I think it's called I Am. And yeah. the futuristic woman, she asks um, Hippolyta, who are you? Like, where do you want to be? Um, and that episode, which is so transformative for me because it caused me to ask myself, how am I defining myself as an evolving woman? How am I finding my voice and how am I making myself vocal uh, amidst all the chaos? So how have you been able to stand firm and define yourself and find your identity, even with the pressure to conform to this Hollywood norm? I really don't know how to do it any other way. I, I wish that there was a... I wish that I had more of a crafted answer to that or uh, more of a considered strategy. Do you know what I'm saying? But I just, I just, I, I really don't. I really don't. You know, I, I have these conversations with, you know, one of my family members who's a musician and, you know, is, a, is, is in, is in, a, in, in, I guess is in, a, is in this sort of entertainment industry, um, but in, an, in the music um, side of it. And, you know, he, he and I have this conversation all the time, you know, and he says, you know, Anjali, you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. But you just, you know, you just like to be at the house feeding, feeding animals and stuff, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and I, and he's right. <laughs> he's right. You know, he's, he's right. Like, that's the life I prefer. I prefer a life where, you know, I have one, I, my, my life is in Mississippi and then where I work. But I feel like this job of being an actor, and then I think that it's a profession that I certainly like, you know, um, respect and, you know, the people who, who do it and do it well, I have so much respect for them because 
it is an it is it is an art form and you know the ability to change people and to uh to affect people in 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 the through acting is so powerful it is so powerful i know how i feel when i'm moved by a performance you know i know that feeling so it is a very powerful tool it is a very powerful profession because of that reason because you are able to do because the the, the ability to move people without an instrument with just the words that come out of your mouth with just how your face looks and the and the expressions that you put how you're able to move people like that that is incredibly powerful so so i don't take I, it's not that i take that that part of it for granted i honor it but the profession part of it i don't want anything i just don't like that part at all it is it is it it can be soul destroying mm-hmm. especially for women you know especially for women because there's such a demand on on you on women particularly to look a certain way on uh, uh to 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 really behave a certain way and i i, I it, that i i i i feel like that i, I that's an that's anathema to me you know i don't want to live by anybody's rules but my own you know and i feel that if you i feel that having to follow that or having to that being essential to your having the having a certain kind of um um life in 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 my profession like i i i don't want to do that and i have not done that i have not done that and then also let me also say this i have made a choice i made a choice about I'd say about 10 years ago where I decided to live in Mississippi. Like I I had been living in New York and you know living wherever I worked and I made a choice to go back home and live and live full time in Mississippi because I had a, a I had a um a family member who was ill and they needed someone to take care of them full time. So I made that decision to go back home and do that. It was the best decision I've ever made in my life. The best. Mm-hmm because I was, because first of all, I needed to be there with that, with that person. I needed to be there. And uh, so it was not, I knew I had to do it. I just, I, you know, it was no question of whether I was going to do it or not. I didn't think about it twice. I just did it. And, you know, every, everything that you've ever seen me in nine times out of 10, you know, I was in my house, putting it on tape, sending it off in somewhere, you know, like I did, that's what I had to do. Um, and I don't regret a minute of it. I don't regret a minute of it because nobody can take those memories away from me. Nobody can. That time that I spent with my family member in that way, I will always cherish that. Now, what would be the other side of that story that I'd be somewhere waiting on a job (laughs) or, Mm. you know what I'm saying? Or like, you know, trying to look cute going, you know what I mean? And I'm not disparaging that at all. I'm not, but I, I, that's just never was a life I wanted to have. And it's certainly as I'm older now, you know, maybe when I was like in my twenties, that would have been cool, but I have no interest in that anymore. All I want to do, I want to do good work. I want to do work that my, that makes people like you proud. Mm-hmm. And I want to, you know, um, take care of my family and live in my house out in the woods and wherever, 
you know, wherever, wherever else I, I, you know, I end up. And that's, I'm sad. I'm happy with that life. I'm not just satisfied with that life. I'm happy. I'm happy with that life. But I think that means a lot to hear you say that because I mean, I, I, I went to Spelman and there were about five black girls from Mississippi and we had, I felt like we had this burden on us. Uh, from the moment we left Mississippi, we had this send off and an older Spelman alumna, she told us, you have this obligation that reaches so much further than just Spelman. When you go to that school, you have to make sure that not only you're representing yourself, but you're representing your parents, you're representing your church, you're representing the old lady who gave you um, a money uh, on the side of the street or at the grocery store, you're representing Mississippi. And for me, it was just like such a, a heavy burden um, uh, to go into this whole new world, this brave new world that I wasn't familiar with. It was just such a burden. And even when I uh, did all that I had to do at Spelman and I accomplished what I set out to accomplish and I came to a GW here in D.C., I remember my first gathering with the Black Graduate Student Union. We had this little uh, like bar happy hour situation and we were talking and chatting. And I can just remember so vividly everyone was saying where they were from. So some people were like, oh, I'm from Atlanta. I'm from California. I'm from Texas and London and uh, Nigeria and Ghana. And then I was the last one and I said, I'm from Mississippi. And it's almost as if the breath was taken out of their bodies. When I said I was from Mississippi, it was like, how, how, how did you get here? Like, what, what's Mississippi like? And all, all these things. And for like, I feel like I've always tried to uh, balance my feelings about where I come from, because on one hand, I'm very proud that I'm from Mississippi. I'm very proud of the experiences that I've had. I'm very proud of the things that I've been able to learn and, and grow from in my home state. But on the other end, it's like this shame uh, uh, that comes from like this torrid history. And so just hearing you say that you're proud to be from Mississippi, that you're proud that you live in the state and, and you, you are a person, uh, an actor for the people, it means so much. But when did you know? that you had that power. I mean, we all, I think we all know that we have a certain power. We all have a certain gift, a certain talent, and we're able to touch people in different ways. But, but when did you clearly define that this is who I am? Um, this is what, what I'm going to represent. And I'm not going to let anyone deter me from representing Anjanu Ellis, the Mississippian and all of those like facets. When was that moment for you? Well, I love, you know, I think Oprah Winfrey says something that I love. She says she loves it when people over underestimate her. Mm. And, and that will be your that will be your advantage for the rest of your life. Because as soon as you tell somebody you from Mississippi, they're gonna they immediately are gonna make all kinds of assumptions about you. Immediately. Yes. So so, you know, all you you can just laugh your way through it and be like, yeah, I know what you think about me. You know, <laughs> I know, get ready. You know what I'm saying? So, so, you know, I, I have been in situations, I can totally understand what you're saying. I've been in situations where, um, I, uh, people were like, yeah, where you from? Like they literally almost the same thing. And this was kind of really kind of jacked up because I was about to, perf I was about to be a part of a panel that, you know, mm -hmm. this guy had invited me to be a part of. And so the guy who was the host asked the person that was with me, 
you know, oh, oh, where are you from? He said, I'm from blah, blah, blah. And he said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Mississippi. This man turns away from me and walks away. What? Oh, my gosh. Put his back toward me and walked away. (laughs) And I said, okay, all right. Then we do the panel, right? And Mm -hmm. of course, I'm, you know, you know, sounding like I sound, which is like I've read a book. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. And and so, and so, um, and so he was just, you know, astonished by that, you know, and and, and then he is this dude who's, you know, trying to start this, you know, uh, you know, cultural news site and he was like you know after me and after me to try to get some get me to write something for his for his news site you know Mm. for his journal or his online journal you know what i mean but this this i'm i'm trying not to call him some but he he turned his back on me and then when i opened my mouth then he then he was so impressed that and then he was just impressed and astonished and then now, then he wanted something from me. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm used to that. I'm used to that. You, I'm used to that. I, I know people, how, I know how people view folks from, from Mississippi. I, I know that I'm, I'm good with that. And I'm, I'm actually so good with that because you know, what, what, what you have to, and I, I have to, you have to realize, and what I, I know, you may not real, you may not have to realize, and maybe you are operating within that knowledge, is that we have to tell ourselves the, the true story of who we are, not the misinformation yes. camp that has happened about Mississippi. Right. So, so that what we have to realize is, is that there was definitely, and there is definitely an absolute misinformation campaign about the state of Mississippi, particularly black folks in the state of Mississippi. And, and one of my, you know, one of my things that I'm trying to do is trying to tell the story of, you know, trying to tell a story that's inspired by Fannie Lou Hamer's life. And the reason why I want to tell her story is not just because I want to tell Fannie Lou Hamer's story is because I wanted I want to set the record straight about how Mississippians how Mississippians were and how Mississippians are and how the the work that we were doing in Mississippi towards become fully re, becoming fully realized citizens was very different from the rest of the states in the south it was it was a different trajectory it was a different culture it was very very different and um and fanny was at the as at the, was at the forefront of all of that along with a whole bunch of other people and um so so yeah you know i believe you know i i heard the lie on god you know that that what mississippi is but i know the truth i know the truth and i live the truth in my house i live the truth in my community i live the truth in my in 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 less my church but the mm. history of my church was steeped in that truth so that's what i got going in my back pocket you know and so um you know, people have this notion about about that that the, that black Mississippians are are passive and all this. It's a it's the it's a lie. It it is not based in any truth whatsoever. Um, right. 
so yeah, I, 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 I think it's kind of, I think I get a kick out of it actually, you know, <laughs> I do, I get a kick out of it. And I, 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 you know, even some of my friends who've known me for a little while, they try to, they try to be, you know, insulting to me a little bit, and, you know, play me close. And, and I'll just, I just like, go ahead, go ahead. Cause I'm like, I'm smarter than you. I'm, I'm good. Right. Gotcha. I'm good. Gotcha. It reminds me of that quote that says, uh, when you talked about telling the story of Fannie Lou Hamer, um, I get super emotional anytime I read anything or see anything about her because that's one of my Mississippi idols. Um, but there's a quote that says, um, whoever controls the images controls your self-esteem, your self-respect and self-development. Whoever controls the history controls the vision. So it's very, very uh, good that you are taking up that mantle and telling the story of a woman who contributed so much to the freedoms that so many people uh, experience. And, and her legacy uh, has just been such a major part of my development. And so I'm so happy that you're telling that story. But I think that my last question is, when all is said and done, when you have the Academy Awards, the Oscars, the Emmys, uh, the NAACP, well, NAACP Image Awards and everything, what do you want your legacy to, to be? Well, we had this church, we had this song that we, we used to sing in church um, back in the day. And it was, it was if, if I could help somebody, then my then my then 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 my then my my life will not have been in, would not have been in vain, mm-hmm. and you know that's how that's how I live my life. I live my life in that way. Like how have well, how have I done? How have I lived? What have the footsteps been? And 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 how I the path that I've taken has it helped somebody? Can someone say that my life is better because because I I was a part of it, you know, because I, it, 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 and if that is, if that is somebody's testimony, then, then, then I, then I feel like I've done all right. And so everything that I do has been, is, is, is for that purpose, mm-hmm. um, to, to improve the lives of the people of the people around me in some sort of way, because if you, if you are not doing that, then you are, then you're just, you're just, you're just sucking off the earth. You're just sucking from the earth. You, you there, Catherine Hellman calls them the eaters of the, the, the earth eaters. They eat the earth. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to leave something here that'll help it grow. And I think that that kind of, that kind of living in that kind of way was the way that my grandmother lived. You know, my grandmother, you know, I was in, always with her and we were forever going to somebody's house seeing about them if they were sick, you know, mm. feeding people, taking, taking plates to people. That's how my grandmother lived her life. And we don't see that as now. We don't look at that as, 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 as activism, but mm. that's what it is. Yes. That's what my grandmother was doing. She was being an activist by building and protecting and feeding her community. That's what she was doing. And she did it every day because I was with her. That's the kind, that's what I was doing with my grandmother. And that was the example. That was my example. Now I'm not, I don't, I don't do what she do. I'm not visiting. She did like, I'm not visiting the sick and shut in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You know, every other day I'm not doing that, but I do it and I do it in other ways. And I, and I do it in a way that I, I, you know, 
there, there may no, there may not be a record of what I did, but I'm doing it. And then the other thing is, um, you know, I have a niece and nephew and my sister who's a lot younger than me. You know, I want to leave them with something. I want to leave them with something that they can say, my auntie did this for me or my sister did this for me, you know, um, um, giving them something that I, that, that they can hold on to, you know, after, after I'm gone. And then on the, you know, the artistic side of it, you know, that's why I am, um, you know, the whole writing thing, um, the, the acting stuff I can't control. It's just out of my hands. Um, but my, my writing is something that is of me, you know, truly of me. So, you know, I want to leave something, um, that is a testimony to that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what is next for you? In terms of your career, in terms of your activism, what's the next step for Miss Ellis? Well, in terms of my, um, in terms of um, my, uh, the work that I do uh, at home, particularly, um, and hopefully that will be resonant outside of my outside of my home, um, is. Um, really built on two things, you know, this idea of this, this flag, you know, and people see it as like this symbolic thing, but it's not a symbolic thing because it acts as a physical tool of segregation. So if you see that flag, you're not going to go over there. So it tells black people where they're not, where they're not welcome. It says color. It, it says whites only. That's what right. that flag does. Super oppressive. Yes. yes, that's what it does. So it's not a symbol. It is a whites only sign. That's what that is. But they just don't use that. It just doesn't it doesn't have that language on it. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, um, that flag is not illegal in this country, but segregation is illegal. So the point that I am wanting to make in this next phase of this conversation and fight about this flag is to hold this country accountable to that, that, that essentially is giving us two different messages. It's saying the segregation is illegal, but we can still use, we can still have something that physically acts as a tool of segregation and you cannot have it both ways. Um, so, so, so yeah. And then, you know, acting wise, I, I, uh, was, uh, happy to be a part of, uh, the, uh, the story, a story about Venus and Serena Williams' father, uh, Richard Williams. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a part of that and it's supposed to come out this fall. So look out for that. And I'm also doing something right else right now, which is why I'm in Chicago and not in Mississippi. Oh, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll be on the lookout for all of that. Guys, there you have it. Another episode of Cultured Commentary. If you want to hear more, continue to follow me on this platform. I'll be here giving you more episodes in the future. Until we meet again, remember to stay engaged and contribute to the culture. Bye.